Grace and mercy and peace belong to you. From God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. God's word before us is our second lesson in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. After God's word speaks about the experience of, of Abraham in the Old Testament, God's word rounds that section out by saying this, One by one, all of these died in faith without having received the things that were promised, but they saw and welcomed them from a distance. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Indeed, people who say things like that make it clear that they are looking for a land of their own. And if they were remembering the land they had come from, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better land, a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God because he prepared a city for them. Gary Gallagher. Gary Gallagher. Gary Gallagher is, is someone who is able to do two things, and, and these two things do not always go together. Number one, Gary Gallagher is a professor of history, and he teaches history at one of our major universities. But the second thing he does that doesn't always go together with the first is that Gary Gallagher, as he teaches, is also very, very, very interesting in teaching history. Example of this, imagine that you are a freshman attending the University of Virginia, and you have a first period class that starts at 8 a.m. in the morning. Now remember, you got to think like a college student. 8 a.m. in the morning. And your first class is American history with Gary Gallagher. 8 a.m. Consistently, the American history 8 a.m. class under Gary Gallagher was packed. Packed. That's how compelling a teacher he was. One of the takeaways that Gary Gallagher likes to bring to his students goes something like this. He says, a sense of perspective from history can give you great encouragement regarding the present. I'll say that again. A sense of perspective from history can give you great encouragement regarding the present. One example. Here are some reports and accounts of things, some things going on in our country. The economy is just going haywire. There are divisions among various sections of the country, sometimes to the point of violence. There is a fear that the country is not going to hold together. And, and culturally, culturally, there are some troubling voices on the horizon, troubling voices that, that say that, that marriage is an outdated institution and that people should be free to be, with, to be intimate with as many people as they desire. Well, these reports and accounts are not describing today 
They're not describing the 1960s, which was also a turbulent time. They're not describing the Great Depression. They're not describing the time of the Civil War. These reports and accounts come from the 1820s. The 1820s. A sense of perspective from history can give you great encouragement regarding the present. Brothers and sisters, that is all the more true, not only in looking at the present, but looking at the future. When that message comes from the living and enduring Word of God, God's Word before us is His Word to Hebrew Christians in the New Testament. Here's the setting for this letter. These, these Christians are, are new Christians. They are Christians of Hebrew background or, or, or of Jewish background. And they are finding that their life is, as Christians is pretty tough. It is hard. It's difficult. Many times it just is not pleasant. For one thing, they, they are at odds with the rest of the culture, which is rough in and of itself. For another, they are getting pushback from the rest of the culture. They're getting some persecution. Not fun. And perhaps on a more personal level that, that gave it even more of a bite, they, many of them, were receiving pressure from their own families and old friends who, of course, were of Jewish background. They were trying to pressure them into giving up all this Jesus stuff. All this, you're, you're all enamored with this Jesus of Nazareth and who he claims to be, and you've bought into this, and, you're, and it's hard and it's difficult. Why don't you just say goodbye to that? Just come back. Come back to the family. Come back to the old way of doing things, the old faith. And so these new Christians had a lot of things that they were facing. And so what did God's Word do? One thing that God's Word did is that he pointed them back about 2,000 years, about 2,000 years before the birth of Jesus, to a figure that they all would have been very familiar with, really the father of the Jewish nation, Abraham, and points back to the time when God called Abraham to leave the familiarity of his own home and say, Abraham, I want you to follow me to enter a, a, a new land, a new place. I'll show you where it is. And Abraham, in faith, picked up his whole family and moved to an entirely new place, and he entered what is known as the land of Canaan. Canaan. Brothers and sisters at home, too, Right here, we just have to do a full stop just for a moment because it is vital that we at least get a sense of what kind of culture Abraham was entering in following the Lord. What kind of culture in Canaan surrounded Abraham? For one thing, the culture of the Canaanites included extreme sexual immorality. Extreme sexual immorality. In the Old Testament book of Leviticus, chapters 18 and 20, 
God lists some of the deeds of the Canaanites, and it, as you read through them, it doesn't take much in, imagination to, to have the, the, the hair on the back of your neck begin to stand up. Archaeology and early history also gives us a sense of, of what that culture was like in Canaan. There was cultic prostitution that was done in the name of their religion. Cultic prostitution in order to, to please the fertility gods Baal and Ashtoreth. And so it was expected that if you engaged with these, this cultic prostitution that that would help bring rainfall and, and, and help the land grow crops. In order to supply these cultic, this cultic prostitution system, many times young people were forced into it. Some were abused to the point of death. Perhaps most chilling, within Canaan, there was the ritual sacrifice of children to a god called Moloch. And the thinking was that if you did that for Moloch, then Moloch would bring good fortune to your family. It appears that even surrounding nations, surrounding Canaan, even though they were not believers in the true God, even they were appalled by what the Canaanites were capable of doing. And so there was Abraham camping with his family, living in tents, moving from place to place within the land of Canaan. How in the world was he going to grapple with that? How in the world was he going to withstand that culture and, and have the strength to proclaim and be a witness for his Lord? All he had was a promise. All he had was a promise from God. A promise that this land would one day belong to his descendants. A promise that his descendants would one day form a, an important nation. And the promise that from his family would one day come the Savior from sin. The Savior who would wash Abraham's sins away. The Savior who would wash his family's sins away. The Savior who would come to wash away the sins of the whole world. That's all Abraham had. But that was enough. That promise was enough for God the Holy Spirit to sustain Abraham in his faith. That promise was enough for God the Holy Spirit to empower Abraham to proclaim the Lord and his word. That promise was enough for God the Holy Spirit to keep Abraham's eyes on that better land, that better country that was coming. Through it all, it empowered Abraham to keep his eyes forward on his heavenly home. 
And now we fast forward several thousand years to 2022. We look out into our society and it's not hard to get a little bit of a twist in our stomach. There's so much turmoil. So much chaos. So much division. There seems to be a, 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 a loss of a sense of right and wrong. And along with that comes great uncertainty. Along with that comes fear. How about our own personal lives and our families? It seems as though the devil is, is just piling up more temptations, not just more temptations, but t- temptations that are more insidious. And these, these temptations are, are not only targeting our children, our grandchildren, in our heart of hearts, we have to confess that, that, that Satan is gunning for each of us in his own way, finding some way to get us to drift to get distracted and to wander away from our Savior. That can quickly, brothers and sisters, that can just quickly fill you and me with a a sense of paralysis, a sense of dread. Can the church survive in such a place? Can the church survive through such a time? And along comes our Lord in his word. And he gives us his promise. The same Savior God who sustained Abraham through his years in Canaan. The same Savior God who sustained all of the Old Testament believers in all those centuries before Jesus was even born. The same Savior God who sustained those new and and uneasy Hebrew Christians in in the New Testament. The same Savior God who who came here and lived in our place the, the kind of life that we know we were supposed to live, but we have failed to live because of our sin. He did that on our behalf. And the Savior God who willingly took upon his shoulders all of the ways in which we have let him down and let each other down. And he washed them all away in the blood on the cross. The same Savior God who rose from death and the same Savior God who now rules all things. That's the same one who sustains us now. And he will continue to do so. And he will also continue to empower you and me to do what Abraham did, what all believers have done in the church through the ages of time. To proclaim our Savior. For all the souls who need to hear of him. To shine the light of his good news until that moment 
when he takes us home to Jerusalem, the golden, with milk and honey blessed. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Jesus. Amen.